Hey, buddies. Happy 50th. Welcome once again to the Frank Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, and I am talking to you today happily about episode 50. We have reached 50 episodes of the Frank Observer Podcast, and uh, on this 50th episode, we talk about film number 50, and a very good one at that, Countess Perverse was made in 1973, and uh, the original theatrical title in Country of Origin, La Contessa Perverse, The Perverse Countess, also alternate titles, um, Le Quanchias, The Munchers, um, which is odd because, uh, yeah, the next one was The Gobblers, oh, it's the Amazon, funny, this is The Munchers and The Gobblers, um, and then also another title for it is one that I have in front of me as a locandina that I own, uh, also titled Sexy Nature, and that is um, the Italian theatrical one, uh, the Italian locandina, and uh, the German uh, DVD version as well. And shooting title for this was Le Contenza Zaroff, and also pre-production title was uh, La Chanesse de la Contessa Zaroff. And the report and variety was called The Hunt for Madame Zarkov. Um, let's see. The Munching Contessa was also an unconfirmed title. This is once again a Comte de Francois de Film production of Paris, which is a Robert E. Nessel's company. Uh, theatrical distributor, Comte de Francois de Film production. And uh, timeline shooting for this is April of 1973. Uh, scenes for La Contessa shoot was April 74. That was the extended um, scenes they shot afterwards for the other versions. Uh, let's see. France, it premiered in 1st, September 18th of 1974. And the hardcore scenes were shot in autumn of 74. Um, and the French visa issued for the hardcore version was December 11th, 74. And then it came out in... Belgium, Brussels, in May 29th of 75, 1975. And finally, uh, the Sexy Nature version played in Italy, Florence, Florence, Italy, of October 3rd of 1980. Theatrical running time, France, as Le Croissance is 69 minutes. Cast on this mighty film is the fabulous exquisite, lovely Miss Alice Arnaud as Countess Ivana Zarkov, the always cool and evil and charming Robert Woods as Bob Newbar, the mighty ultra Howard Vernon is Count Radar Zarkov. Very unusual role in this for him. Very good. Uh, Tania Boussier is Maria Newbar. She's decent in this. Um, she's almost like the poor man's... Um, Montessori Prowse, but uh, yeah, she 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 uh, holds her own, and of course the mighty, exquisite, Amazonian, legendary Kali Hansa is in here as Kali the fugitive, and uh, bringing up the game, of course, in the most dangerous game, is the legendary Lena Romay in one moving up the ladder now of uh, Jess Franco films early appearance as Sylvia. Aguanado, and a brief appearance, if you could spot him, uh, of Ramon Ardid, who plays the boatman, 
who ferries Alice Arno to the island and back. You can only see him for a quick second, and that was uh, Lena's husband at the time. Uh, cast for the additional Le, Cro Le Croissance footage, uh, director Jess Franco, that's the hardcore stuff, um, Taniele Busiera and Lena Romay and Caroline Rivera, Carolina Ryder, uh, Monica Swim, and Pierre Talou, captive fondled by Sylvia. Credits uh, on this, um, well, actually, us too, that's the hardcore f footage and other footage of just people talking and lead up, leads up and other things that we'll talk about later. Uh, credits on this, uh, director Jess Franco, of course, Jess Franco. Uh, screenplay and adaptation, Jess Franco. Dialogue by Elizabeth Ledoux de Nessel. Uh, director of photography, Gerard Bessard. Uh, editors, Gerard Kekoin, and uh, music by Jean-Bernard Reto and Olivia Bernard. Uh, Presenter, uh, the producer, uh, Robert E. Nesser, uh, production secretary, Ferdinande Manuer. Uh, continuity, Simone Legion, still photography, uh, Howard Vernon, once again billed as Mario Lippert. One of my favorite aliases in all of the Jess Franco universe is learning that Howard Vernon was a set photographer on most of the films that he acted in and always took credit as Mario Lippert, L-I-P-P-E-R-T. Uh, assistant editor, Patrick DeConnect, who I always think is an alias. I keep wanting to see who Patrick DeConnect is. Um, film stock, Kodak Eastman, and Lab, GTC, and sound recordist, Michael Kondo. Uh, let's see. Um, okay, so basically, yeah, we're taking all this, of course. Always give credit where credit's due. Murderous Passions, Volume 1, by Mr. Stephen Thrower. And um, on the morning I record this intro, I look on Amazon, and I see it's back in order form again there. Uh, right now, they're charging $55 for it. I've seen it range between 35 and 55 and up, so that's usually general range between 35 and 60, so for Volume 1. Uh, volume 1 and Volume 2. Volume 2 is usually uh, cheaper, which is great for some reason. I don't know. I, myself, when I first got these, I bought Volume 2 first, dug it, and then went ahead and bought Volume 1, paid more money. So, anyway. All right, so I'm going to go into the production notes. There's quite a bit on this film, so uh, which is great. And before I jump into that, too, um, thank you all again for listening to the previous... Uh, actually, there's 50 episodes because we had the bonus one where I did... Um, uh, Emmanuel and the Black Cobra, or whatever it was, the one that Franco didn't do. It was the bonus birthday episode. So, actually, it's 51 episodes, but... So, yeah, so for the previous 50 episodes, it's cool that we've got this far. We've done uh, 50 Franco films. We're going to do pretty much the whole canon. And um, thank you to all my fellow guest reviewers, um, everybody that's done the episodes. It's funny, so, so far, not counting the bonus one of the 50 episodes... Uh, my guest reviewers, co-hosts have been Eric has done 36, uh, Collie has done 7, um, I've done 3 solo by myself. Um, on the early ones, we had Greta had done 1, uh, Dan had done another, uh, Amber done 2, and Bob Moritz did 1. And then um, we've also had third mics uh, on those 3 mic episodes. We've had uh, my brother Jared had done 1, and my buddy Bob Heron done another, and Liz Claire had done 1. So, yeah out of the first 50. It's a nice thing there. So, uh, yeah, hope to have everybody... Oh, actually, I can tell you ahead of time. Um, as I record this intro to episode 50, I had already done the review of episode 51 and 52. 
I traveled to Los Angeles, uh, California, and uh, on vacation to go to a pro wrestling gorilla show and had seen Suspiria down at Griffith Park outdoors, um, uh, outdoor screening there. That was awesome. Seen some friends and all that. But anyway, I recorded episode 51 and 52 down there with uh, frequent guest reviewer Kali Sini, who now has recorded two down there, which will bring her up to nine episodes as co-host guest reviewer on the show. And thank her for that. And yeah, we recorded two episodes. We did uh, uh, films 51 and 52, um, uh, Carzan and the... Um, um, Le Glotonese did those too. So anyway, those were fun. So those will be coming up in the future, of course, in due order and all that such. So, all right. Now, uh, let me think. Else, I want to say, yeah. So keep on listening. I'll keep putting out one a week or all that stuff. So now on with the show. Production notes. After How to Seduce a Virgin, Franco delivered another great film of the period, Le Cantasa Perverse, aka. Countess Perverse, made during the last week of April, allowing a three-week shoot for How to Seduce a Virgin, it was completed in an astonishing five days. Though the film is commonly regarded as having been shot back-to-back with How to Seduce a Virgin, Alain Petit goes further, asserting that Countess Perverse was improvised totally during the shoot for How to Seduce a Virgin with the same cast and crew. If this is what Franco can achieve under such conditions, it's truly a miracle. One of his most compelling and memorable films of the 1970s, invented on the spot and filmed in the midst of another shoot. Further material was added sometime later when Robert de Nessel asked for the film to be sexed up. See other versions, which I didn't see. Um, Okay, review. In Countess Perverse, Franco's rough-and-ready technique takes on a ragged, dreamlike power, an erotic spin on the RKO classic The Most Dangerous Game, 1932, based around the hunting of women for sport and the powerful taboo of cannibalism, Countess Perverse seems all the more compelling because of its loose ends and haphazard elements. It begins quietly with a man and woman. Bob Newbar played by Robert Woods, and his wife, Moriah, played by Tania Boussier, standing on the veranda of their lovely beach house overlooking the coastline. Spotting a naked young woman lying unconscious on the beach, they run to the water's edge and carry her back indoors. The woman, called Collie, played by Collie Hansa, regains consciousness and sobbingly tells Bob and Moriah what happened to her we see her story unfold in a prolonged flashback, beginning with a journey out to sea. This is a film in which even a simple boat trip can feel totally disoriented. For the start, the sea journey lasts far longer than necessary for the amount of narrative information conveyed. Shots are cut together jumpily, discontinuously. Sometimes we sail near enough to the island to see rock strata in the cliffs, only for another shot to pinball us back half a mile away with the island just a vague bump in the distance. You may think this sounds like bad editing, but it happens so blatantly and repeatedly that it's without a doubt deliberate. It has the effect of loosening our spinal and... uh, I'm sorry, our spatial and temporal coordination 
rendering the journey to the island surrealistic and mysterious, an effect amplified by glimpses of the Zaroff residence atop the cliffs, an extraordinary modernist construction previously seen in She Killed in Ecstasy. Franco's handheld camera, with the angles centered and tilted by the choppy sea, creates a jittery instability, while the wide-angle lens adds a dreamlike quality of shots to Hansa and the briefly glimpsed boatmen. After the unnerving journey, we cut to Kali, clambering fully clothed from the sea and onto a rocky beach. In voiceover, she sobs, He wouldn't go any closer. I had to swim all the way out to the evil house. It's here that we encounter an eclipse, apparently native to Franco's original cut, over which the dubbing tries to paper. Hansa's line about the boatman implies that she was just a casual acquaintance, I'm sorry, that he was just a casual acquaintance, unsympathetic to her wishes. However, as they approach the island, we see her place one hand on the man's shoulder and slip the other around his bicep. It's rather intimate for just a background character, which makes us wonder if his role was intended to be greater. Was he written as Kali's boyfriend, who drowned when the boat hit the rocks in the most dangerous game? Count Azaroff's victims arrive on an island after a shipwreck. Sadly, scrutiny of the newly available original cut reveals no extra material and certainly no shipwreck. Perhaps the notion was abandoned in the edit. Hansa's laborious climb from sea to rocky beach is ungainly, awkward and nightmarish, redolent of those dreams in which one mysteriously cannot walk or run. On the soundtrack, an eerily comforting organ straight out of Carnival Souls adds to the discomfiture. As the flashback continues, we see her ascend a flight of stone stairs leading from the beach. Her voiceover refers to a feeling of dread and the sense she was being watched. Right on cue, we see Alice Arno as Countess Ivana Zarkov peering through binoculars. What we don't see, however, is Kali reaching the top of the stairs, nor for that matter, meeting the Contessa. Instead, in a puzzling eclipse, we cut to Holly, Kali Hansa, descending a fantastically bizarre, geometrically outlandish interior staircase, accompanied by the Countess and the previously unseen Count Zarkov, played by Howard Vernon. Hansa is now dressed differently in a flowing blue gown rather than the floral pattern blouse and dark pants she wore in the exterior shot. At first it seems that a major scene has been cut. Was footage lost or damaged, overexposed, or out of focus? Perhaps by omitting material relating to the shipwreck, the death of the boyfriend, and Kali's first distressed conversation with the Zarkovs, then roughly stitching the remaining scenes together with a voiceover, Franco was able to create a different narrative path. Or is it just that the five-day shooting schedule resulted in unavoidable continuity glitches and Franco figured he could get away with them? I think it's the latter. After a guided tour around the Zarkov's home, in which the aristocrats show off aristocrats show off to Kali their collection of well-mounted animal trophies, we cut to a prolonged sex scene in the middle of the night with the Zarkovs ravishing their young visitor. Another cut takes us to the scene of Count Zarkov cooking a female corpse in a large flaming oven, while a nude and trussed-up Kali looks on in horror. At this point, the flashback ends, and we return to Bob and Mariah. They agree that the delirious fugitive will have to be taken back to the Zaroffs. Only now do we realize that the apparently incongruous couple are unscrupulous kidnappers who habitually provide victims for the Zaroffs and return for money. Basically, I'm sorry, Bizarrely, nothing is made of the revelation. It could have been a jolting moment of horror, but the writing and staging of the scene is perversely casual. 
In the film's most agrarious eclipse, we never actually see Kali being returned to the, her tormentors. She simply disappears from the film for the next 45 minutes, only reappearing later as a corpse on the Zaroff's butcher slab, an oversight which asks a lot for our comprehension, and more importantly, throws away the chance for some sobbing despair as the victim is returned to her tormentors. Uh, sadistically flourished that Franco would not neglect in his later women in prison films. Yeah, as I stop here, yeah, that's almost the thing that you should also add kidnappers to the list. He uses kidnappers and stolen jewels quite a bit. Uh, let's see. Instead, we move on, but Bob telephones a young woman called Sylvia, played by the gorgeous Lena Romay, uh, with the intention of selling her to the Zaroffs. He and Mariah seduce the girl and take her to the Zarkovs for dinner, in a sequence that mirrors the one with Kali Hansa earlier. It begins with a walk down the same staircase and into the same circular windowed dining area. Apropos of nothing, Bob grows angry when Count Zaroff drools and leers over Sylvia, having become implausibly enamored of her during the single day together. Quite what motivates his change of heart is anyone's guess. Bob is a man of strong passions. Had his education been as strong, he would have been perfect, smirks Count Zaroff as the younger man storms from the table. The narrative is so sketchily drawn here that Mariah seems to disappear and we don't know if she's still on the island. The emphasis shifts to Sylvia, who wakes during the night and enters the Great Hall to find the Zarkovs, slowly, calmly chopping up the corpses of the erratic collie. Count is sincerely proud of his work and tries to elicit appreciation from Sylvia, telling her that it was human meat she enjoyed at supper. Sylvia, understandably distraught, faints away. When she revives, the Zarkovs boast to her of the noble rules of the game. They will not kill her in cold blood. Instead, she must flee for her life, pursued by the Countess, who will hunt her down with bow and arrows. In another steal from the most dangerous game, Count Zaroff informs the trembling girl that she can evade death until the clock strikes nine. She wins her freedom. What follows in a wonderfully bizarre sequence that feels ripped from the pages of the Italian fumetti, sexy Italian comic strips, with a countess, nude except for her jewelry and a golden belt, stalking the terrified Sylvia through the countryside. This sadoerotic hunting scene is the climax of the film, but Franco, operating as usual on some other frequency, allows dreamness to defocus the action. These release shots of Arno walking through the undergrowth contradict the buzzing frenzy of the library muse score, running weird dislocated detachment alongside adventure and adrenaline. On one hand, the exterior scenes are replete with Franco's trademark zooms and slippage out of focus, which enhance the action with immediacy far outweighing the technical intelligence. Style and content are strobing in and out of step with each other, but somehow the friction creates magic. As events reach a grim and sardonic conclusion, the Countess herself becomes a victim. Luckily, her gourmand husband can see the positive side. I've waited for this moment so long, says Zaroff. You will be the best meal of my life. Countess Perverse is a genuinely exotic taste experience. Certain aspects are tough to swallow. Others are weirdly delicious, a cine Epicurean's delight. One can't help fantasizing what might have been if the film had enjoyed a reasonable shooting schedule. The pleasures of Countess Perverse are intimately wrapped in its flagrant discon discontinuity and aesthetic arrhythmia. 
it really is dreamlike, that overworked word so hard to resist with Franco. Some scenes are vivid and elaborate, others garbled and threadbare. The dining sequence, the Zarkovs cutting up a corpse, the hallucinatory sea journey, the image of Arno with a bow and arrow, striding nude through the reeds and bushes. These aspects are indelible. In between, the material is so flimsy it can barely fill the gasps. A perplexing tangle of flaws and marvels, a dirt-encrusted jewel tossed aside half-polished. This is utterly unlike the work of any other filmmaker. All right. So, music. Uh, soundtrack to Countess Perverse, culled from a variety of French library LPs, features some of the most exciting, compulsively listenable music in Franco cinema. Among the tracks featured are Violence from Distortion's Pop. Uh, let's see here. Um... Crescendo City from Traffic Pop. Um, Gallop Pour 100 Meters from Harlem Pop Trotters. Strange Night from Traffic Pop. And Harlem Pop Trotters from Harlem Pop Trotters. Um, Violence from Distortion Pop. Zombie from Sons Neutro Pour Imaging Contemporaries. Robert Davi. Hunt Continues Procession from Traffic Pop. And Micro Chaos from Distortions Pop. All uh, Jean-Michel Larage, L-O-R-G-E-R-E, for most of these. Um, at least one organ piece reappears from the erotic rites of Frankenstein, but I can't identify the artist. Jean-Bernard Ratu's music is also featured in Center and The Demons, both of which were made the previous year. Let's see locations. The Zaroffs live in Xanadu, part of the Manzararia, Manzanera, Haute Complex in Calipay, Spain, previously seen in She Killed in Ecstasy. The interior staircase belongs to the neighboring apartment block La Morella Roja. For the Zaroff's dining room, with its circular table and large circular windows, Franco went down to sea level, where a restaurant for the residents of the Manzanera complex overlooks the sea. And actually, that restaurant, too, is in uh, She Killed in Ecstasy when... Um, Soldat is chasing Paul Mueller's character toward the end and trying to kill him before she seduces him and kills him. Uh, let's see. The coastal region around Calape has a few small islands, but many of the shots purporting to depict of the Zarkov's private island are actually mainland coastal locations. Uh, during the sea journey to the island, Franco included a shot of the Pinon de Efache de Calape, which is actually on the mainland, giving those familiar with the region a bizarre sense of journeying simultaneously out to sea and back towards the coast. The scene in which the Zarkovs explain to Sylvia how they will set her free and then hunt her down for sport takes place against a wall of mirrored tiles. These can be also seen in How to Seduce a Virgin. Um, let's see. Connections. With its theme of hunting humans and its blatant use of the name Zaroff, Countess Perverse explicitly references The Most Dangerous Game, 1924. Um, General Zaroff becomes Count Zaroff in the 1932 adaptation. And let's see, we're going to kind of skip over all that. Um, Franco spreads these, let's see. Apparently the sight of severed heads bobbing in glass tanks and preferred cadavers arranged in gribbly tableau vivants provided too disturbing. Franco spreads these visual elements liberally across both Countess Perverse and How to Seduce a Virgin. 
Uh, we get in the former we get human heads mounted on the wall, in the latter we get tableau vivants of human victims. By the way, notice that one of the human heads in the trophy room is a property cycle from Virgin Among Living Dead. Frank returned to the hunting humans theme later in Sodomania, 1980, in which Ajita Wilson chases victims across alligator-infested swamps. The scene in which the bound and gagged collie watches Zaroff putting a corpse in the oven prefigures the killing of Pam in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, with a trussed-up victim forced to watch the butchery, in this case the cookery, of another human being. Which is funny because in Las Abernales, there's the scene of uh, one of the strip scenes that prefigures Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. So there's like two Frankel films, or maybe three now, that have Texas Chainsaw Massacre references and shots before the film was actually even made. So, interesting. Uh, let's see. Here's something that really strikes home for me. Cannibalism was very much in the news in the early months of 1973, which is my birth year. My birth date is October 13th, 1973. Um, so it says, Cannibalism was very much in the news in the early months of 1973 due to the terrible experiences of passengers on the Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, which crashed in the Andes on October 13th, 1972, which I was... Mine was a Saturday, so I believe that might have been a Friday the 13th, actually, too. Uh, the survivors, who were not rescued until uh, December 22nd, 1972, which is over two months later, revealed that they had been forced to resort to necrocannibalism, eating the dead, to stay alive. The word cannibalism itself comes from a Spanish root. The Spanish name for the Caribbean people of the West Indies is cannibanales, and this tribe were often accused of cannibalism. Although it's unclear whether it was practiced for food or for magical purposes, the latter involving ritual chewing of slain enemies' flesh. Franco's addition of cannibalism to the hunting motif of the most dangerous game seems to have been spontaneous. However, it's worth pointing out that five years earlier, the cannibalism taboo had been broken most shockingly in George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead, 1968 which depicted such grisly delights as the recently dead feasting on burned human remains and a little girl eating the corpse of her father. Immediately prior to Countess Perverse, cannibalism had featured in Umberto Lindsay's Man from Deep River, released in Italy of August 72, Gary Sherman's Deathline, released in UK October 72, Bud Townsend's Terror at Red Wolf Inn, released in USA October 72, and Ivan Reitman's Cannibal Girls, released in USA, April 73. All right. Other versions. I'm not going to go over everything on this, but I'll kind of do a little skim on it. Franco's original cut of Countess Perverse did not sit well with Perverse with producer Robert E. Nessel. Uh, he was reportedly so disturbed by the film that he demanded Franco shoot new footage to soften up the impact by adding light-hearted interludes and a new happy ending. Franco released realizing that if he didn't shoot the new material himself, Dean Nessel would simply pay someone else to do so, reluctantly agreed. The resulting compromise came out under the flatly ridiculous title Le Croissant literally The Munchers. Several months later, Dean Nessel asked Franco to add further shots of an erotic nature to spice up The Munchers. Franco once again agreed. He was evidently out of patience by now, though because the additional erotic material ruins the pacing and totally scrambles the timeline, with Lena Romay molesting a bound couple in a scene that violates the story's chronological and flatly contradicts her ingenue role in the rest of the film. 
Here follows is a list of the additional scenes totaling around 24 minutes. And they have about uh, seven scenes. Um, all the material featuring Caroline Rivera and Lena Romay were shot later at the seaside resort of La Grande Mate in 1974 during the making of Lorna the Exorcist. The distinctly pyramidal structure of the resort's hotels can be seen in the background during the poolside scenes of the munchers. Um, even the hotel room is the same one used in Lorna. Note the abstract art on the wall. The newspaper that Carol reads from in the final scenes bear the French page headline Georges Pompidou's rests. This refers to the French president who died suddenly on April 2nd, 1974 and was buried on April 13th. The headline relates to the burial, so the shot must have occurred around that date. The newspaper is Midi Libre, a regional paper produced by the language Doc Rosalou Region. All right, so I think that wraps up that part of Countess Perverse. Um, so hang out, and this is going to be an interesting episode because we did a live um, viewing and um, recording with myself and Eric Whitwell. And then I did a Zoom review with uh, Miss Colicini from Los Angeles uh, via Zoom. And I am editing the three of us together. Um, and I'm going to see how that works. So I kind of want to do something different for episode 50. So you're going to hear kind of like uh, two different reviews but fused into one. So be an interesting experiment and something new for episode 50. And uh, back to 51 and 52, it'll be back to the normal way. So... Alrighty, well, I'm going to wrap this end up, and uh, thank you all again for being fans of the show and listening on, and uh, hope you enjoy the second half of the show, and uh, I will see you on episode 52. Hey, buddies, welcome once again to the Franco Observer Podcast. I am your not-so-humble host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking company headed by yours truly. And right now, as we speak, we are editing close to the um, work print of Lady Hyde and then beginning editing on um, Emmanuel and Sin City. And um, I myself am getting ready to head to the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California, to go see uh, Suspiria. Uh, playing down there at the Greek Theater and to go see uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla Mystery Vortex 7. And um, speaking of Mystery Vortexes, this is episode 50 and we are in the mysterious vortex known as the Franco Observer Podcast. And also a uh, mystery is Countess Perverse. And uh, to help me talk about the mystery of Countess Perverse is my uh, guest and frequent uh, reviewer and co-host, Mr. Eric Whitwell. Hey! Hola. Happy 50th. Yeah, happy 50th. <laughs> happy 50th. 5 zero. So by now, this is the 50th episode, and hopefully you've listened. Actually, more than 50, because I uh, did a couple bonus episodes and things that I didn't count, like double O's and this and that stuff. So, But uh, yeah, officially, this is uh, Film 50, Episode 50, Countess Perverse, made in France, 1973. Uh, original theatrical title in country of origin, Let Contessa Perverse, The Perverse Countess. Um, alternate titles, of which there are many. Uh, France theatrical re-release is The Munchers, uh, Les Crocosis, and then also uh, Sexy Nature, uh, Italian theatrical and German DVD. I have the Sexy Nature uh, Locandida poster hanging up on my wall uh, behind my 
desk. It's of the uh, woman with her knees in the air and her finger. So I guess that would probably be Alice Arno's character, I would guess, probably. Yeah. Uh, who that would be, you know, uh, character-wise. And, Got the uh, Alina boots on. Yeah, so uh, maybe it's, I don't know, let me see. Wait, what's her name? Was like, uh, was she touching herself? <laughs> yeah, those are supposed to be stockings, I think, but Lena yeah. did have the the uh, thigh-high uh, white yeah. boots, you know. Uh, forgive my voice this week. I have a uh, touch of a uh, congestion, so. It's not COVID. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was tested, tested negative. Uh, let's see. Uh, also, uh, Sexy Nature, uh, Italian theatrical German DVD. Uh, La Contessa Zarkov, shooting title. Um, also, La Chaise de la Contessa Zarkov, production title. And The Hunt of Madame Zarkov. Uh, reported in Variety, August twenty second, nineteen seventy three. Unofficial title: Le Crescus Contessa, the Munching Contessa. <laughs> wow. The Munching Contessa. That's an interesting. There was title. munching in the movie, though. So yeah, there was some a, munching. Quite a bit of munching. Yeah. On raw meat and other kinds of raw yeah. meat. Yeah. So that makes sense. That, yeah, it yeah. does kind of make a little bit more sense. Uh, shooting timeline on this is uh, April nineteen seventy three. Uh, scenes for the secondary thing was shot a year later, April 74, for uh, Le Crontesis, the Munchers version. Uh, France, and it played finally in September 18th of 1974. And hardcore scenes were autumn 74. French Visa issued for that version, December 74. And played Belgium in May 29th of 75. And finally, Italy as uh, Sexy Nature on October 3rd of 1980. Theatrical running time, France, uh, Le Croixes, 69 minutes. hi uh, Let's see. <laughs> Cast on this, Alice Arno as Countessa Ivana Zarkov. Uh, Robert Woods, again, as Bob Newbar. Uh, Howard Vernon as Count Rador Zarkov. Uh, Tania Bussieri as Mariah Newbar. And uncredited on this is Kali Hansa as Kali the Fugitive, Lena Romay as Sylvia Aguado, and Ramon Ardid, um, her husband at the time, plays the boatman. And let's see, cast for additional scenes, the uh, Le Contrest footage, director Jess Franco, uh, Tenia Boussier, Lena Romay, Caroline Rivera, uh, Monica Swim is in it, and Pierre Tellu, captive fondled by Sylvia. Credits Jess Franco, screenplay adaptation Jess Franco, dialogue Elizabeth Ledoux de Nessel, director of photography Gerard Bissard, editors Gerard Keconi, music Jean Barard Rendeau, Olivia Bernard, uh, presenter, Rob de Nessel is the production secretary. Um, let's see who else we got on here. Uh, Kodak Eastman Color, of course, again. Uh, let's see, so let me just give you a brief synopsis and uh, talk to Eric about the film. I remove the mic from the stand here. All right. Um, let's see. Bob lives by the sea. Oh, hold on. All right. Three, two, one. Bob lives by the sea with his wife, Mariah. From their home overlooking the coast, they spot an unconscious young woman washed up on the beach. They bring her indoors, and she revives. She explains that she has recently escaped from a strange island just off the coast. While searching for her missing sister, she was set upon and raped by the island's aristocratic owners, the Count and Countess Zaroff. 
Unfortunately for the fugitive, Moriah and Bob are procurers of victims for the Zaroffs, invested, oh, I'm sorry, interested only in the money they can make by feeding their neighbors' sick requirements. After returning the woman to the island, the couple invite a young friend, Sylvia, to stay. They seduce her into a threesome before taking her over to the island. The Zaroffs cook their guest dinner at their extraordinary coastal abode, amusing themselves by feeding the visitors human flesh cut from the earlier victims. Bob begins to resent the Zaroffs having fallen in love with Sylvia and leaves after an argument with the Count. In the night, Sylvia is seduced by the Countess and later wakes up and walks into the Great Hall to discover two aristocrats carving up the nude body of the escapee. When Sylvia refuses to appreciate the nobility of their enterprise, she is set free to run nude through the countryside, the quarry in a bizarre, naked hunting spree. All right, so, um, Kali, what did you think of Countess Perverse? And actually, first I want to ask you, what version did you watch? Uh, I watched the uncut, the long version. No, version what was the title of it was it um oh it actually was a weird title like that had nothing to do with any other title and i even listed on letterbox there was um uh i think it was like was it actually, um something i could pull it up was it les croissants les, les, les oh. uh it was just two words and it was in english and it was like sexy nude or nude oh uh, sexy nature yeah, sexy nature. Okay. So yeah, so basically, when Mondo Macabre they put out Countess Perverse and then the sexy nature cut, and I haven't seen that, but yeah, that's the longer version with uh, added scenes. So Countess Perverse is the preferred cut, just like say um, uh, version of Mon Living Dead, like with all the zombies and stuff added. The version you saw is the longer cut where he went back and filmed because he had to go back and film twice after that film. Because the first version, Countess Perverse, is a shorter one, and the producer was kind of like freaked out by it. He's like, dude, this is fucking weird. I can't put this out. So then he had him film softer scenes with Lena talking on the deck in the beginning to a woman. And there's like not, um, nine or ten scenes that are in the book. They talk about this scene's new, this scene's this, this and that and stuff. And, yeah, it's more time, and it's a softer film. I guess there's a happy ending in that version. I guess it's a different ending or something. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy. Where she wakes up and it was all a dream. Oh, boo. Oh, I know. That's a call. Yeah, but it's yeah. kind of cute because you get to see her be all adorable again at the end, you know. It's always yeah. nice to see Lena naked and going, oh, everything's okay after she was murdered. Yeah, <laughs> and they filmed it like about a year later, like when they were making like Shining Sex and Midnight Party. I think it was right around that period is where they filmed all those extra scenes, you know. Sense. So I'm like, why oh, her hair got really long. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, okay. So, so did you watch uh, Sexy Nature and Countess Perverse or just Sexy Nature? Um, just Sexy Nature, I guess. Okay. Because well, okay. Countess Perverse is in there, you know? It's like that's in there. Yeah, that's, that's the core. Okay, so that's cool. So then we're going to have a, a kind of a different viewing where we saw the same film, but you saw the different version, which is cool. So then you have the added bonus of having the different ending and the different scenes and that. So are you familiar with the film without those extra scenes? I mean, do those scenes stand out when you watch them? Um, I mean, I, I, from what I can, I, I don't know. I, I think I watched the same one the last time that I watched this. Cause I remember being amused at the, like everything was a dream ending. Um, yeah. See, that's, 
And well, the thing, like Robert Woods actually did an interview that I, I did watch afterwards. And he was saying that like in his contract, it says, you know, no sexy times, like he'll fake it, but like he doesn't want to do it. And then he said that they added that in, but he wasn't a litigious guy. So he didn't pursue it, but he was kind of like miffed about it, but whatever-ish about it. But he like, that, yeah. So he, he was saying that like that wasn't what was intended. Now, when, he, when, he, when they were talking about that, which I watched after, I realized, oh, that that was the edited. I shouldn't be saying uncut version. It was the edited version. The, the cut version, I guess. Yeah. It's cut. Because, yeah. Uh... Countess Perverse, you know, the final shot is him walking with the woman into the water, and then it just kind of ends on that note, and Howard Vernon watches them, and it, and it soft fades into his face, and it just says, Finn, and that's how I love that Howard Perverse is. that whole scene, because he looks like he's, like, fascinated, like a, like, like, like he's some kind of, like, scientist watching monkeys or something, like, oh, he has feelings about this. Hmm. I wonder what this is about. Like, as if he doesn't understand humans and like having like caring about a human. <laughs> yeah. Howard says so much with just his like confused. Look. I don't know. He's that's such a great like. Now, where on the Howard Vernon scale does this rate for you for for him? Like as his character and like who he plays oh, in this. I love him. I mean, he's great. Like this. This is the. This is really tops because he's so like. Um, amusingly diabolical you know like like when he when they get caught you know like killing and eating the the chick or whatever he's just like oh yeah this is what we do and he's just grinning about it like yeah we're, we're cannibals and you are too and boha yeah he's i love him yeah to me he's like such a prick in this where he's usually really like dignified in that and he's like does this and that but in this he's just like yeah well you're not going to be around long enough to to like uh to like uh, have the meal anyway and he's just like yeah. totally like I'm going to fucking kill you. Just like, he's so flamboyant and he's so like a total, just total asshole. And it's like, wow, this is kind of cool. He takes off a lot of his charms. You know, he's just fucking just real base, you know? And, um, what else I thought was cool was, uh, his sex scene totally blew my mind because I was talking to Eric, we were watching it and he's usually really casual. He'll do a little bit and stuff, but, I mean, in the version I saw, he was right on top of Kali Hansa, and Franco zoomed in on his balls, just like a straight fucking porn scene. And we're just like, whoa, Howard Vernon, what the fuck, you know? Yeah, his ass was like doing this weird thing with its muscles where it was like... Yeah, he was like flexing his butt and doing a little... It was like like a a diamond ass or something. It was like pushing up. Like, I was like, whoa, he's getting in there and he's working that ass, you know? Like, it was really like he was... That shit was tight. Like, he was doing like some exercising. Because, I mean, you know it's fake because he's like so high above her. Right. Unless his dick is like two feet long. Like, he's not (laughs) in her... Well, he's Howard Vernon, so... Yeah, I mean, there is that, yeah. But, but like, yeah, he's way up there. Oh, my God, he's, like, exercising, and he's showing us his glutes right now. Like, go Howard, all right. But, yeah, usually he kind of, like, always, he'll, like, do a, a quick kiss. And, like, while I was watching him just to see how see how far he was going to go, and I was like, okay, he's, like, kissing a little bit, and he moves away. And then when I see him, like, starts moving his hand, he starts, like, going between Collie Hans's legs and starts, like, fingering her. I was like, holy shit. And I was like, okay, right there he went over the line for Howard Vernon, like, okay, now he's taking that next step, you know? And then when Alice Arno is yelling at him, you know, go after her now, get her, you know, rape, you know, basically mount a raper, you know? And then he, which is another thing too, watching this, I was laughing because this is another of the Franco films where the woman's raped in the beginning and then she halfway through enjoys it and then converts over to the, you know, accepting of it. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> like I was, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, it took me like, 
hours to watch this because I kept having to break to masturbate. But um, oh, nice. the, <laughs> you know, it's like sexy times. Like, it's just so much of it. And yeah, that that scene was like one of my. I love that when you know, it's like, no, don't stop, don't don't stop. You know, yeah, yeah. that was that's my jam. Also, too, I was noticing Kali Hansa in this. Of course, I always bring her up, but like her yeah. makeup in this, she is like totally made up in every scene. And and when she comes in off the water and she's swimming in and stuff, she has like her total full makeup on. Her hair is just perfect. And it's like, come on, dude, you're just swimming in the water. You wouldn't have perfect makeup and hair and lipstick and everything, you know. But she's always just so glamorous in this. And uh, we do and, that uh, every movie. It's yeah. like <laughs> that women always look completely perfect when they just, or like they'll be in an actual shower with perfect makeup. That's my favorite of all movie things. Is yeah, no water splatter, or nothing. They'll have perfect makeup. They're like, they're like lounging in a bath, perfect makeup on. That's just the best. Yeah, because the fact is, like Lena, that will do natural and this that and stuff. But but Kali Hans is like always totally made up all the time. Like, well, I mean, she has like eyebrows that are like she. Ha- it's where she has like the '90s eyebrows, but in the '70s, it's yeah. where she has that going. That like super slim. Like you have to perfectly draw them in because there's just so much of that happening. Yeah, and yeah, she-, she has the most erect nipples of any woman I've ever seen, and they're 100% erect 100% of the time, which is amazing. <laughs> Even when she's dead, her nipples were erect in this, and when she's sleeping, her nipples were erect. It's like holy shit, dude! Watch it again, you'll see, and like. They're like cutting her head off and her fucking nipples are erect. I'm like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. That's mortis, you know? That's the word I couldn't remember that last uh, podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah rigor mortis. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's why her nipples are hard. Just like in the yeah. last like, that's why the dick is still hard. <laughs> but yeah, no, she, uh, uh, hard. Uh, now I'm not going to remember the name of the Cadavers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard cadavers. <laughs> that sounds like a good porn name. Hard cadavers, you know. Your band name, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that is a porn name. Yeah, I'm sure by now, you know. <laughs> the cadavers aren't the only thing that's hard, you know. Double, triple X, or whatever. So, Eric, what do you think of the film? Uh, really interesting. Like it was really interesting. Uh, definitely aspects of it I really liked. Um, yeah, it was good. It was good. It, I mean, it wasn't my favorite Franco film, but it was. It was good. It, mm-hmm. it had some aspects I really liked. Yeah, it's cool that uh, this was filmed back-to-back with uh, uh, How to Seduce a Virgin, and this was shot in only five days. Uh, from what I've read that we'll go into more in the beginning of the, of the uh, program is that uh, this was more of like an improv in nature. They kind of knew what they were going to do, some of the basic points, and then all the dialogue in between is either written on the spot or made up. So, And you can kind of tell that because there's not a lot of dialogue in this, and there's more traveling shots and a lot of uh empty things of just the locations and things but not a lot of talking and yeah. conversations and stuff you know yeah visually i mean like the the places are beautiful like where you shoot shooting so yeah the uh xanadu it's the second appearance of that after uh she killed an ecstasy they yeah. talked about that being the second time franco used that location and then the house the place next door the red one they used for the interior shots of going down the staircase and going up yeah. and down. A few times they used that. <laughs> Took a lot of time with the film, but it looked cool. But it was you know. beautiful. Though. I mean, that was an amazing staircase. Yeah. Like a pixelated staircase. Uh, I'm going to hit the Franco list here first and yeah. walk this through. So, okay, so we start off definitely with body of water. It's like the first thing you see. And you see a boat. Not a sailboat, but a boat. Uh, there's sailboats later on. Uh, you see palm trees right off the bat, yep. definitely. Jungle sound effects, very minimal, but in toward the end, they really pick them up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, 
Number six, chained up person. Yes, yes. definitely people chained up. Uh, dance scenes on stage, stripping. No. Uh, taking off of clothes, but not stripping on stage, you know. Uh, club scenes, dancing. No. Uh, jazz music. Yes. yes. Excessive zooms. I would say yes on this. He's quite a few zooms on this. Yeah. Like, a lot. Uh, along along with number 11, out of focus shots. Quite oh, yeah. a few out of focus shots of this. <laughs> Some artistic, like the end one was very cool, where it went to out of focus and it made sense, and he's done that before. Yeah. But a lot of the zooming in, he goes out of focus, and you'll see him get focus about three or four seconds later, which is kind of funny, you know. But, uh, yeah, so so those they left in. Uh, number 12, mirror shots. Yeah, there's some really yeah. fucking cool mirror shots in this. I liked um, a lot of mirrors, but there's about three or four good mirror shots. Um, also, two shots, why I'm off track is there's a really great sequence when they first bring... Uh, Lena to their place before they take her to the island and and a woman gets up and sits on the bed and, and takes off her clothes and you see through the doorway of the rock behind him of him and Lena standing yeah. up and her sitting naked on the bed that's a really fucking good shot yeah. in the movie so fucking cool uh, yeah there's about f- three or four really good shots in this film where he's like holy shit like his sequences and how he's lined up things are really really beautiful in this a uh, couple inside the house and the different angles with the places and stuff looked really really good yeah uh let's see number 13 mind control theme mm. <sighs> well i mean they put that woman under a drug to, to kind of keep her under control but um well uh, i mean there, there is a control theme where the couple works for the older couple. They're in their control to secure victims to bring to them. Because they need the money. Yeah, they kind of control them. They don't really control their mind like a typical zombie or a, a mind control victim. But they are a very controlled thing. Um, they do use, you know, uh, yeah, I, I say no, but there's fingerprints of it. But no, I'd say no, but yeah. but there is some thinking of it. It's definitely a psychological like game that they're playing. But number fourteen now, this is a definite yes. Magic tongue scenes. Oh okay. God, yeah. Okay, so this is an important film because <laughs> there's literally a passing of the tongue torch, from uh, which I called it from um, uh, Tania Boussier, who is like a, a stand-in for um, Montserrat Prouse, who looks very similar. And I always talked about this with Eric. Is like he'll have certain gals that look like other gals if he can't get them. Like he has a actresses that look like Monica Swim before Monica Swim and Lena Romay when he doesn't have Lena and, and other people that fill in as like a um, stand-ins for Soldads where he's trying to have somebody like a, a Montessori Prowse was a stand-in for Soldad and she even talked about that in her interview and that and certain things so with this definitely we have her as and uh, she gives Lena the magic tongue first yeah. and Lena's kind of receptive of it and then she uh yeah, and then she tongues Lena's nipple, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah and she, she does the magic the tongue on Lena's nipple, which was then, Lena's move later. And then Lena, I think, did that to her. Did she do that to her? Well, she ate Alice Arno's ass later. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah, she got right behind her and ate her yeah, ass. Because Alice Arno first was looking on Lena's nipple, I think. Or, uh, uh, kissing it with her lips. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't using the tongue, because Alice Arno doesn't use the tongue. But the other uh, gal does. Uh, I just, um, Tania Boussier. Yeah, she definitely did. That was yeah, that was yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's cool. Cause, yeah, because it's like Lena's. So this is Lena's third film because she did. Uh, um, uh, God damn it! It was uh, just the just relax one that wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, released. Um, relax baby wasn't released, and then did uh, Sister Rise of Doctor Orloff, mm-hmm. and then How to Seduce a Virgin, and then this is the third one. Yeah. But this would be her second appearance. Um, um, 
got us perverse. So yeah, so so she's uh, really young in this, very innocent. Because um, the last film, she was the um, mentally retarded uh, servant of the couple in the house who's a virgin. <laughs> And that was her second film, you know. And then, yeah, so this is her third. So, yeah. And then she's almost like the the there. She she's again plays the third in a threesome, and she is taken by this older couple and used in their thing, you know. But uh, she has different means to her end in this one because they deliver her to the to the place to be a victim of yeah. the couple. Um, she learned the power of the tongue in this one. Yeah, so it's cool. So see, yeah. see her pass over, and then later also she does it. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty funny because. Uh, and this one, she's still like kind of learning the ropes, and she's just starting off. It's her third film, and, and it's like Alice Arno's kind of like doing it mechanical. You know, it's kind of being a little bit into it, and you see Alice kind of take over. Like this is how we do it and stuff. And the next shot, you see is Lena like right behind her ass. And Franco's, <laughs> Franco's kind of zooming in, kind of paying attention. He's kind of going out of focus, and just like okay, okay, yeah. kind of kind of seeing how it, she is and stuff. And they talk about her as being an exhibitionist and I'm like, well, that's another nice way of saying yeah. it. really excited, uh, you know, sexual person, you know, but see, that's what I, okay. So that's exactly where my mind went to. when when you said the munchers, right. like that's the scene my mind went to immediately. But then I started thinking, Oh my, okay, well that's actually just a term for cannibals. You know what I mean? Like, but also you think like carpet muncher, like yeah. muncher, like a sex term, but then yeah, also you think, Oh yeah. Munchers are eating their, their yeah. cannibals. They're, they're eaters, you know, which so. I would understand like why he didn't like that title for the cannibals, the munchers, but it's also cool to be thinking about it as like, um, almost like a society thing, like this older couple feeding on the younger yeah. people that are delivered to them by like, uh, like, like people they think are cool that they, that they, like Lena's a girl that looks up to this couple and thinks that she's going to find happiness with them. Yeah. But they're just going to deliver her to this older couple above that's going to kill her. And it's like pretty fucking brutal and evil. If you think about she was it. down though. She, she's, yeah. She's like, Oh yeah. Well, you want to have sex? Okay. All yeah. right. And, and Lena's first appearance too, she's wearing these fucking, uh, thigh high white leather boots that like lace right up the top or that kind of like, um, buckle at the top above her nails. Fucking badass. She's so hot. Yeah. yeah. She's just in there. So her big eyes and, Young, young body. Yeah, she looks so. It's crazy because you're yeah. bringing it out like it's not many like years later. Like she looks very much more experienced and yeah, you know, she's almost like almost like Soldad and like uh, um, Eugenie, where she's very young. She's yeah. her knees and tight and very kind of youngish looking in this. Her yeah. eyes and everything. She looks very young. And then yeah, then just maybe shit. Two films later, which is like what four months later, she's already kind of like taking on <laughs> a demeanor like and yeah, and then she goes and goes. And then by the time you know Barbara dolls and all that, which is. I mean, shit, dude, that's, you know, well, she does the Too Much Cheese movies and then uh, Female Vampire and then uh, Hot Nights of Linda and then Exorcism and then Lorna and then, uh, yeah, just a few things starts going to, into uh, Shining Sex and all that and then she starts really, you know, changing right around yeah. there, so, which is not that long. That's only like three or four films after, you know, five films because the other ones she's not really in or this or that, so. Yeah, she was very. T- you could see the the newest, like the timidness, a little bit in. Yeah, it, she's kind of learning know? the ropes and kind of going along yeah. and stuff. But um, let me finish this, this real quick. Yeah. Uh, so then, um, fifteen red light. No, I didn't see red light on this. Uh, no, since this is not um, Dietrich, even though there are sheepskin rugs in other films. No sheepskin rug. No masturbation with sea items. Uh, Seventeen mad scientists. You know. The cannibals were almost like a version of the mad scientists, but they're not yeah. sad scientists. But they, it could be they're like this couple living in a castle and they eat people and shit. But yeah, but they are and the hunters, you know, more that way. Uh, Eighteen fish tank shots. Didn't see any of those. Yeah. Although you see the outside portals of the place, it looks like a fish tank, but it's not. Yeah. 
um, 19 talking parrots or monkeys, nothing like that. Nothing like that. No. <laughs> uh, number 20, in credits, yes or no? Yes. yes. This is Finn with the out of focus, uh, Howard Vernon's face. Number 21, handwritten notes of any kind or signs. Didn't uh, catch no, this one. Signs. No. Uh, 22, spiral staircase shots. Very a lot of stair, st- yeah, stairways and the note, but no spirals. Although there's that one that, that red goes up and down, but that's not really a spiral. But yeah. they're trying to kind of show that same effect, I think. But well, there is one where there is one thing part of the stair where he has to go inside the doorway and then he comes back out up top on the opposite end. Yeah, but it's not like how you. I would say yeah, it's not a spiral. I would it's say spiral. that red shot is more of a spiral staircase shot than that other one because it has that same kind of a layered effect where you. If you look up, you see the you know yeah. layers of it. Not red lights, but that staircase was very red, so it was a very yeah, red room. That's true. There's a red light. So, yeah. uh, twenty three inept cops. There really wasn't no inept cops, no. so no no law enforcement of any kind. Uh, and number twenty four belly chains. Uh, yes, there's yes. actually a few belly chains. Uh, uh, what's her face? Um, Tanila Busia, um Mariah wears one when she comes swimming with the with uh, the three of them naked. And then the uh, Countess wears one yep. when she hunts that cool fucking gold kind of belt deal yeah. and stuff. Yeah, her outfit's so fucking cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to talk about a few of the people in this real quick because everybody's – there's not a lot of actors in this, and they all really stand out in different ways to me. Um, Alice Arno, this is like her third or fourth film, I think. Uh, I'm trying to think where she starts up because she does Lissa Bernali. She's really good in. And then uh, – I don't think she's in. She's in center, but yeah. But she's she's like so strong in this, and she's such cool, evil. Especially the last two films too. She's so like so strong, and yeah. she's so beautiful and almost like porcelain, and like she's she's almost like a painting. Like she's a she's like a fucking work of art that comes to life. But she's very cold, and she's just gorgeous as well. And she's very strong, doesn't show any weakness, and and it's just almost like a shark. You know, she yeah. just fucking goes straight ahead and. And, uh, yeah, she's really, really awesome. What do you think of Alice Arno? Oh, no, she's super strong. Uh, very controlled, very, uh, yeah, just very in control of herself. Yeah, I, I kind of was laughing when uh, when she shot Alina with the bow and arrow. And yeah. she smiled. I'm like, oh, she had shown emotion. Yeah, exactly. Now, you know, one time like, she actually, yeah. Like, you, you can't get her off her game. Like, even, like, in the, the dinner scene where they're sitting down talking to uh, Bob. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's almost like, you know, well, Bob, maybe you should leave. You know, yeah. like, she's just... Let's just keep this. And know, every time Howard Vernon was veering off or giving Twitch info, she would try to like, yeah, smother the flames to try yeah. to keep things going and shit. You know, it's not 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 emotional, not emotionally no, no, charged. Yeah. And she's definitely the one that this film revolves around. Like she's yeah. the main person. Oh yeah, and also to fear and desire. This film is about desire, I believe, because uh, they all desire the meat and the hunting. And there's yeah. really not a lot of fear because you you see the women scared, but it's more of the desire of of their their desire to kill people and and yeah. hunt and all that stuff. You know, their art. Yeah, that because yeah, they talk about that as just being artists. Um, Robert Woods again uh, plays almost the same type of character like as in the last film. Uh, you start off thinking he's like a good guy, but he's actually a bad guy in this as uh, Bob Newbar. Um, I'm jump ahead to him from uh, Howard Vernon. Now this might be one of my favorite Howard Vernon roles. Um, he doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but the scenes he has, he's like a total fucking asshole. Um, and speaking of total assholes, you see Howard Vernon's total asshole. Yeah, that's yeah. You crazy. see him fucking call you Hansa. I was because when the scene starts off, I'm like, oh yeah. I was like, being a director, I'm kind of watching how other actors act with certain actors in love scenes. I'm like, you know, Howard Vernon's always dignified. And then about halfway through that, he just like starts sucking our tits and jumps around <laughs> and starts 
playing with her pussy and he starts fucking her and you see like the behind porn shot where his ass is going up and down yeah. and his balls and I was like holy shit but he went up and down and his ass cheeks kind of spread a little bit and you got a quick little peek of his actual asshole yeah. which is a hell of funny I'm like oh his no it's actual not asshole. It's the actual hole the whole asshole <laughs> I was like, oh shit, you even seen like the back of his balls and like, yeah. yeah, like, oh fuck, okay, Howard Fernand got naked for this. But it was cool when Franco was shooting that too because I was like, Franco was just treating him like he was just, you know, another woman or if he was just some young dude, whatever, he was just like, do do do, you yeah. know, treating him just the same frame of shot, pan down, on the ass, zoom. Yeah. yeah, I was like, wow, dude, Howard Vernon. And it's like a dignified fucking actor too and he's like getting down, you know. But right when he started like put his hand between her legs, I was like, right then that was like almost like, oh yeah. shit, what the fuck's he doing here? Because that's like a big step for him. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then, and then she, and she's like, now, now it's her mouth. He's like, whoa. And she's like, yeah, Alice Ardo's <laughs> ruling it, you know. But yeah, but his attitude in this is so good. He's like, uh, he always plays more like a dignified, it doesn't say much, but in here he's just like, yeah, yeah, well, you ain't going to worry about it. You ain't going to be around anyway. And he kind of yeah. like, we're like a fucking dick. He's like, tell Lena that she's going to be killed and they're going to eat her, basically. And a couple times he's just like, well, you know, you ain't fucking have this. And tells Bob, yeah, you were stupid or you had no yeah, education yeah. or whatever, you know. He said he called Bob stupid in a very dignified way. He said, you're, yes, you're very strong. If only your education like level was similar. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. He's just like, yeah, you'd be perfect. Like you're my hired <laughs> thug and that's all you are. You're not smart enough to ever rise above that position. You know? Yeah. Totally station agent in his ass. <laughs> uh, and then uh, you have uh, Tania Boussier again as Mariah Newbar, who um, is the Montserrat Prowse stand-in. Because Montserrat like, dropped out after the last... Uh, two films back when uh just starts turning up the sex factor and in these two films he definitely turns up the sex more you know because you start seeing it going that direction with lena and and howard vernon's asshole and, uh, <laughs> and uh a lot of the you know sex stuff with with uh Kali hansa and speaking of Kali hansa yeah she is fucking amazing this it's funny though because like she starts off where she's washed up on the shore and she's coming out of the water and stuff. But then when they rescue, bring her in, her makeup's perfect. Her hair is perfect. And her, all of her makeup on her skin and her neck and everything. And one thing I love about Kali Hansa is like a lot of the gals will look natural and stuff. But in this one, she's oh, and pretty much I think in every film I've seen her in, she's always totally made up. She doesn't ever look unmade up, you know. And sometimes it works good and sometimes it looks a little funny. Like in that sequence, it doesn't make sense. But I love that she loves her image so much that she always, you know, keeps it that way and stuff, along with her gigantically erect nipples. She has, like, the longest nipples. And I've mentioned that if you go back to, like, some of the early episodes, you see my fa- my fascination with her nipples in this. And, yeah, they're, like, totally little fingers, you know. Yeah, they're insane. They're yeah, insane. Yeah. They're always erect. Yeah, and she's a scene where she's, like, dead. She's erect. It's a scene where she's sleeping. She has totally erect nipples. So I have every scene she's naked and she's totally erect nipples. They never go down at all, dude. They're always pointing straight up. It's well, funny. they just like that. You know what I mean? Like if it's just yeah. like a thick piece of skin that's just like really like, it just never goes down. Yeah. Like a bunch of cartilage in there. No, call it, yeah, call it Hansa. Yeah. She, she looks so good in this. And uh, yeah, she uh, unfortunately meets a fate at the end. But uh, it sucks too that she escaped the island. She goes and sees a couple, yeah, and they fucking oh yeah, we'll fucking help you, and they bring her back to the island for her to get killed, you know. <laughs> like that's fucked up, you know. It's like even worse. Uh, okay, so then you have and then uh, Lena Romay. Uh, anything else you want to talk about Lena Romay that we haven't talked about? <laughs> oh well, the one thing, uh, well, it may well yeah, she's hot as fuck. Um, the thing that kind of uh, well, I guess it's not really about Lena Romay. Yeah, no, she's just yeah. You just really having watched some of the later films first. 
um, you can see like what her development becomes. Yeah, so you, you, like you were saying earlier, she was she's yeah. more hesitant in certain scenes, where in other scenes she would jump in instead of walking in or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's just it's kind of cool to see like the the beginnings of her for what she becomes. Like she like becomes, she like, runs with shoes on instead of barefoot. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny. There's certain scenes where, like, uh, Alice Arno has these orange shoes, and then later on she doesn't have her shoes, and you don't know if she's supposed to not have shoes on, or if she takes them off, or whatever. Yeah. And then Lena, same thing. You kind of wonder if she has shoes. And then Kali Hansa, she comes up out of the water. It's like, you know, that's the thing, too. She comes up out of the water, like she swam, but she had her shoes on and her pants, or was she? Or she no, no. She was, she was naked when they got her out of the water. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. she had the pants on later on when she went up those steps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Wait, it, in the flashback, yeah, when she's telling the story, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, also just like the change of clothes too, like when the the couple when they're standing out there and they see her naked, like he totally has a shirt off and yeah, you know she's like wearing like a full jumpsuit. Yeah, because they they uh, dress similar. They both wear like a jeans jacket yeah. and jeans pants, and then she wears like a brown um, bikini. And then he wears uh, a shirt, a blue shirt under that deal as well. You know, yeah. At one point that, yeah, but yeah, it was just funny because like all of a sudden they 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 go they get her from the ocean from the beach. They walk in, all of a sudden she's in a bathing suit. Yeah, you know. And then the next scene, boom, she's now clothed. You know, it, yeah. it was just kind of funny. Yeah, I know they have those those main outfits, and then she wears this weird like flower fucking suit when they seduce Lena later on. They bring her up and all that stuff. She's wearing that funky thing and stuff, but. Uh, but yeah, it's funny that whole plan with those and everything. Uh, and then uh, Ramon Ardid is boatman, but I'm trying to think what scene that oh, would be. The Kali. That's the only thing I can think of is when Kali was being when they're doing the flashback to Kali going arriving to the island to begin with. Right. Like there was a guy that was in the boat that wasn't okay. That, so must that been, could yeah. have been him. That's, that's probably who it was. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to figure out who because everybody else was like you know the mirror and the couple and back and forth. I was like, okay, that yeah. that, that that makes sense then. Um, but yeah, so we had all that. And Alice, so what's cool about this film is it was filmed in like five days. What? And yeah, it was filmed in five days right after um, How to Seduce a Virgin, the last film, you know. And, and it's a lot of the same locations. He has, um, he uses Xanadu again from She Killed in Ecstasy, the big house, the, the cool, you know, mansion wow, that you so see that. Funny. So you have that. So you have that house, which is all the ecstasy, She Killed in Ecstasy, all the staircases and stuff. Then I was in there pausing it, watching it, and you have uh, down below on the seaside the four bubbles, and that's the little cafe that's in She Killed in Ecstasy when Soldat is chasing Paul Mueller, and he's hiding, dick, uh, ducking in and out of restaurants, and there's these cool bubbles on the wall. And what I was reading is that's uh, the little neighborhood um, restaurant for the people that live in that uh, apartment complex. And the apartment complex was that red building, the staircase that they all walked down. That's mm. the building next to that other She Killed an Ecstasy house. And that's an apartment. People, they all kind of go, and that was the little restaurant. Okay, so that, that isn't like an abandoned – because, I mean, the way that he films it, it looks like that whole island is just that house and nothing else. Oh, yeah, no. Because that house, they said, was built in 68, and this is like 72, 73. So it was only like about five years old at the time or six years old. So that was like a, a cool place, you know, and – uh yeah, and I guess there's you could live in either of those buildings. They're like apartment complexes, basically. And I was like, hmm. You know, it looked they, like apartments, actually. I was thinking that, but you know, I, I wasn't sure. I was like, maybe that's just how it. But yeah, it looks like it looks like an apartment complex more than like a big mansion. Yeah, but no, I just think if you lived there for like six months, that'd be like so fucking awesome. Like living Franco land, you're like, okay, now I'm on this set. Now I'm on this set. Now you know, 
Uh, yeah. That, that, that would be amazing. Actually, speaking of living arrangements, just another little trivia thing. Um, Robert Woods and Kali Hansa were living together during this. They've been married oh. for a year. And um, I guess she was like, I'm going to marry you. And then he was like, oh, and then he bounced. <laughs> he moved away and went back to Rome. <laughs> but that was their little, they were actually having like a romance during that time. And he really uh, liked okay. it. He just like, he was like, I just, I just got out of a marriage. I didn't want another one. So I had to bounce on her. But like, yeah, they, wow. they, were, they were together during that filming. So. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's a cool little trivia. Yeah, because uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Because that yeah, that always seems like to happen like that on set and stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. So, um, Alice Arno is the lead in this, and I think she's probably the strongest person in this film. She's like so fucking amazing to me. She's always the strongest person in every film. Oh my god, she's Alice yeah. Arno. She's like powerhouse of woman. She's like, watch me destroy all of you. I love how there's like the two similarities to the last film that we just watched where she's, she does the scene where she is watching them, where she, when she watched the first talk and yeah. And she, she was like so mad and angry because they were enjoying the sex and she was like, you know, like she was loving it, like damn them for, for, and then um, of course how it ends, you know, that's like, they kind of like, she has a, a, um, what is it? Taste of her own medicine at the end, you know? she gets that too so and, and you have kind of that same sentiment when you're seeing her die and she's like oh my god i'm the same thing happened to me that i was doing to all the other women so yeah <laughs> and it's totally got the whole uh marquita saw it again of you know the two people the diabolical couple and and them not trusting each other and in the end the one turning on the one and, and he says to her you will you will be my favorite meal of all time. Like this is, this is why I've been wanting to eat is you for this whole time. Like he's just waiting for her to die so he could eat her, you know, and that, that was, was always his most ultimate joy. You know? <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, I was definitely thinking of the marquee stuff when he was talking about when he, when, um, when Lena comes in and he's like, you know, Oh, this on phone, you know, like a little child, it's fine. We're, we're eating, you know, and, 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 and he's like, she's just curious, like all children. And then he tells her, you know, don't, don't feel bad about anything that gives you pleasure. And he starts in with his yeah. shit. And, yeah. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> and it's cool too. Cause you first see, uh, like you're saying that people from the last film, you have the, um, the gal, it's almost like the, uh, standing for, uh, Montessori Prowse, um, uh, Tania Boussier and like this is her second film and after this the two Machis films the Lustful Amazons and the other one um, um, Montserrat Prowse um, comes back and that lady leaves so it's kind of funny it's like the same type of person she looks so much like her you know and she's yeah. okay in this um, she's she's a little better I think in this film than the last film because the last film she's trying to be like a young girl that guy's daughter and stuff I think and, and that's not as believable and in this it's more like She's just an evil woman with this guy and they're like total con artists and they're, you know, they're like a, you know, but what's funny is like, I was telling Eric that it's, you don't see a lot of films where the couples dress the same. Like they both have the jeans jacket and the jeans pants as the one of the outfit. And then his second outfit was, well, that jeans jacket and pants with no shirt. And his second outfit was that same outfit with a blue shirt. And she had the brown bikini and then the jeans jacket and the jeans shirt together and they were kind of like you know they're both like cut from the same cloth maybe perhaps i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah that's true yeah they they yeah you just had me thinking about all the different style in the beginning though when they're when 
their first meeting up with Lena and she has that amazing. Yeah, no, I was going to say, no, Lena, now her first appearance in there, she's wearing these uh, knee high white leather boots. They have these fucking badass buckles right above the fucking knees. So fucking sexy. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't get hotter than that. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny too, it's like Lena, and this is like her, I think, second or third film or her second film on, on screen. And she looks so young, even though it's not like that much time until the next few films but i'm not saying she aged a lot but she looks so young and where she goes from a girl to a woman in like a year almost you know on screen basically it seems like yeah she's so fresh-faced here and it's great how they comment and say you know like how she's so dumb you know they like they're just like giggling about how dumb she is and and it's like you can tell though that she's you know, she's acting dumb. And I love that. Like, I love how well she acts dumb. Like, that's that's my favorite thing about Lena is she just is like, ooh, ooh. Like, and, but she she's still sexy as hell, even though she's, like, pretending to be a ditz. But, I mean, it's so effective and it's so funny, too. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I think men love that so much. And she just, she nails that so well. Like, I never can get that as, I don't know. I love what she does there. Yeah, she's very. She acts with her eyes, and and some people that could kill you or 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 really make you shine is your eyes as an actor. Some people overact with her, but and she, maybe she overacts with her eyes, but that is definitely one of her strengths. She has the eyes for sex, the eyes for aware, eyes for excitement. She's always has these eyes that are attractive to different. Yeah, elements. when she was being hunted, I mean, her eyes were like terrified. yeah, she should scared really well. You felt like she was an animal being hunted because she was looking just like an animal, like being afraid, yeah. like a cat or something. Like my cats, when they get scared, you know, when they're crazy, that, that's how she looked. She was just so like, you know, she's just, you could hear her heart beating fast. She's yeah, she totally acts with her eyes. It's really well-spoken. And this is a really monumental film because this is the first film where you have Lena's magic tongue. Oh, my God. Lena's yes, tongue. Very yes. first time. So uh, the gal in the jeans jacket where she's first with Lena in the first scene, she first tongues Lena a little bit, and then she tongues Lena's nipples, and then Lena tongues her back, and then you see her start to use the tongue. And it's like, I was telling Eric, that's like the ceremonial passing of the tongue. Like, did the <laughs> passing of the magic tongue to Lena, and now that was Lena's oh like God. torch. That, that is torch was lit. I love it. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I was actually totally thinking that with like your list that through. There's so many, you know. The, the, oh yeah. And the chain around the waist, and yeah, and belly it, chain. Yeah, that's on our list now. Yeah, and, and there was two. There was there was two of them actually. There was the girl with the guy and Lena when they were on the beach swimming naked. She had the small little belly chain. But the favorite was the hunter with the fucking gold belt. That was like a giant belly chain, basically, or a belt, you know, but it was still badass. Oh, God, yeah. Well, and when they're chained up in the um, in the thing, I was I, I was happy for, for you because they were chained up. And I was oh, like, yeah. Getting chained up in this one, too. Like, all of his boxes are getting ticked. Yeah, everything on here except for, like, stripping on a stage, uh, no red light, uh, no sheepskin, no masturbation. But, yeah, there's so much stuff on here. It's crazy. I was like, yeah, but this is, like, the first – Venus Magic Tongue film, so it's like okay, this is like a really important film, you know. Totally a good one, yeah. The, no, this is there's so much good stuff in this one for sure. The music, the jazz, um, I have to point out like that's a great one in this. And actually, Robert Woods played with Jess in for the music in this one. Yeah, Jess played some of the electric guitar, I guess, on some of the uh, tunes, and then also to some of the scores from past films. Like I heard, uh, there's a track from Sinner that's in here. And then a track from Erotic Rites of Frankenstein that's in here. And because it's a certain composer, I, I read his name. Actually, it's uh, 
Got it for me here. Uh, see his name. His name is. But I don't. I didn't get that sound from this one. This one's more funky, jazzy. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tracks on it. Um, but uh, yeah. his name. This makes, makes movies like jazz. I think that's the best way to describe his his filmmaking style. Is he's just like he's like the jazz musician of directors. I mean, the jazz artist of directors. He just kind of skits and scats and jumps around and plays what he feels, you know, in that moment. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it says uh, the soundtrack to Countess Perverse is called from a variety of French uh, library LPs featuring some of the most exciting compulsory listening music in Franco cinema. Among the tracks featured are Violence from Jean-Michael Loregie. Yeah, that guy, they have on quite a few of the tracks. And then it says to um, at least one organ piece reappears from erotic rites of Frankenstein and then uh, also featured in the center and the demons. So yeah, a couple of the backtracks I like, Oh yeah, that's from that. This is from that. And, but then I just does play guitar on, on some of the stuff too. And so it's like a mix of a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. But uh, yeah, 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 no, I, I was going to say with the, the jazz mentality or whatever, um, uh, yeah. Robert was just saying that like, as, as Jess was reading the script for kind of reverse, he was like, I don't like this plot. And so he just like scratched the whole thing and wrote another one. Yeah. And that's what I read. So basically they did this in five days (laughs) and Alan and Alan Petit said that basically they kind of created it on the spot. They're like, okay, let's make a movie. And then they obviously copy the most dangerous game. You know, he knew, okay, there's these cannibal. And it's funny too, because if you look at the year 1973, that's a year after the plane wreck, uh, the survivor, you know, the soccer team that got the plane wreck up on the, in the hills and stuff. And some of the people resorted to cannibalism. And so that was like a big deal. And the cannibals stuff was quite big. And uh, we'd watched Les Abernalis and they kind of had a Texas Chainsaw thing. In this, there was a Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing as well when Howard Vernon's putting the woman's body into the oven and the other woman's like watching it from through the flames like that. There's a scene where oh, wow. yeah, so there's, I was like, oh shit, okay, there's another Texas Chainsaw thing in there. But uh, so that cannibalism thing was kind of like a big topic. It was like a like snuff films, or it was like the thing that was new in the news. So he's like, okay, let's add cannibalism to that as well, and and just kind of, and then they just basically that's why there's not a lot of dialogue in this and stuff, and there's a lot of time with the traveling scenes and walking up all the staircases and, and walking here and walking there and going on the boat and running, and there's a lot of padding in a good way, but. Uh, at least in the shorter version. Um, and when you watch it with that in mind, that only took five days and it was improv and stuff. That's really fucking impressive, you know, and, and to have all that down and it's a pretty fucking coherent film. There are f- a few things like the woman that in the couple, like she just leaves the Island. You don't see her leave. She just kind of disappears and you don't know what kind of what happens to her. And, and there's some stuff like, well, how did this happen or that happen? And there's a few things that don't really gel if they had a few more days. The beginning of the end was like, why is she? I mean, actually, was she in your cut? The chick with no. the family face? No. In the so basically, um, I'll kind of she tell you what some of the scenes are, it. basically. Um, so the added scenes that you saw are basically. Um, okay. So you saw basically a four-minute prologue on a hotel balcony in which Sylvia, Lena Romay, and Carol, Caroline Rivera, Jess Franco's stepdaughter, 
chat about what to do on their holiday. Sylvia gets a call from her friend Tom inviting her to join him, but Caroline consoles caution, saying that she senses he's bad news. So that scene's not in the version I saw. Okay. And is that the version you saw? Yeah, there was like a whole... Yeah. So that's like four minutes right there that's not in the version I saw. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean... That all these were filmed because the producer kind of wanted a more co- coherent thing, I guess, maybe, or more adding text to certain things. So, but I don't know. I mean, I, I can totally see why that would be added because it would be weird without that, as far as like Lena just takes off to this, like, you know, um, to this island without any kind of conversation about it. And she has a conversation with this girl about it. And the girl is telling her, like, are you sure you should do this? And and it's funny, though, because the girl that she's talking to is supposed to be um, like a, a, a horror uh, writer. And so she like Lena makes fun of her in the beginning about it. Like, and it's kind of it almost sounds like she'd be making fun of Jess or something because like that's the, they talk about. Yeah. Yeah, the writer is like saying, you know, the, the, the you know, some respect for my work, and she's like, oh, your work, you're doing, you're trying to scare people, and you know, <laughs> kind of mocks her. It's cute. <laughs> There's uh, just under a minute of Sylvia and Carol in the hotel room. Sylvia responds with delight to a phone call from Tom, inviting her to visit, whilst Carol sarcastically mimics her girlish enthusiasm. The material is divided into two shots of around twenty seconds each. Uh, the third is a softcore porn insert lasting approximately three minutes in which Tom and Mariah have sex. Tania Boussier plays Mariah. A unknown stand-in plays Tom. So, yeah, those scenes aren't in mine. Um, yeah. Number four, a scene lasting a minute and a half in which Sylvia returns to her hotel room to pick up some clothes. Carol tries to dissuade her from going to the island with Tom. Uh, Romay's hair is noticeably longer here than it was for the original shoot. However, yeah. she's wearing the same dress that she wore in the veranda scene with Woods and Boussieri in Countess Perverse. Romay obviously still had the outfit, and Franco took the trouble to match the footage. Yeah, that, yeah that's why I was saying her hair really grew. <laughs> but in the version I saw, the Countess Perverse, there is a scene where I was, of course, being evil eyes. Uh, there's a scene where Lena has a quite big bush. And there's another scene where she's sitting on the thing. And you can tell she shaved a little bit. I was like, whoa, she shaved here. And then later on, you see the bush again. So they shot that at a different time in the thing, the one shot I saw. And then, and then Eric said, yeah, you're totally right, man. Her bush was bigger there. So, but uh, Yeah, it's wild. Actually, in the, the I showed you my T-shirt earlier from Midnight Party, the Lena Romay. Um, it's weird. She's completely shaved in that movie. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know, like, for the record, like Lena Romay made a movie where she's having lots of sex. But yeah, like, I know, huh? I didn't think about that. Yeah, she's always really so weird. Because yeah. you just expect that. I mean, because her bush in this film is so strong and so beautiful. Yeah. It's like when she's running naked through the woods. I mean, I can't even imagine how stupid it would look if she had, didn't like if she was like one of those girls. Shape balls, yeah. Stuff. It just wouldn't look like a like an animal being chased. It wouldn't look natural. It wouldn't look like fierce and wild and savage. It would just look stupid. So, yeah, Talina's Bush. And then it says there's like three more scenes. There's a four-minute softcore sequence in, in which Countess Zaroff dallies with two captives in the cellar. One is Monica Swim. The other is Tania Boussier. Uh, since Lee, this scene is inserted immediately after we see Tom, Mariah, and Sylvia frolicking in the ocean, but before they enter the Zaroff house. 
quite how Boussier can be swimming in the sea while simultaneously undergoing S&M dungeon sex with Countess Zaroff is a puzzle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is two more. Uh, softcore, all these softcore scenes. A softcore scene lasting roughly three and a half minutes in which Countess Zaroff makes out with a young man obviously intended to be Tom, although the fleetingly glimpsed actor bears no resemblance to Robert Woods. That must be what you're talking about. Uh, and then lastly, in seven, a two-minute coda in which Carol, sitting by the pool, reads a frightening newspaper story and believes Sylvia has come to harm. Uh, rushing back to the hotel room, she finds the relief that her friend has fallen asleep and did not go to the island with Bob after all. I decided you were right. Bob is a real pig. Sylvia yawns. You don't have, you don't know how much I love you. Blurts Carol. The film ends on an affectionate embrace. So uh, it, actually, the translation from mine said, um, "Like I, I really like you a lot, Sylvia." And she goes, "Oh yeah." And then it kind of like looks like they're about to like, bounce, wow, wow, you know. And then it kind of cuts like fades away. So yeah, that's funny. Like as if it ends like, "Oh, I'm fine. I didn't die. Let's fuck." It was funny too. You were talking about the uh, talking about the author, and um, I was going to bring that up to you. It says, um, uh, for instance, the dynamic between uh, Sylvia um, Lena Romay and Carolina Rivera is worth unpacking, as it seems to me surprisingly loaded. Uh, Rivera plays a serious, rather somber soul who's writing a book while on vacation, whilst Lena Romay plays a cheerful skeptic who dismisses the darkness and depravity that she seems to perceive everywhere. One could speculate that the relationship mirrors that of Franco and Romay, or if not, then perhaps the drives of Thanos and Eros and Franco himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I feel like I, I, I think I read a lot into a lot of, of their movies from this time and think to myself, like, it's like Jess and, 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 and Lena are like having this dialogue and it's, it's, it's all a metaphor for that. Um, but then in reality, she was married to another guy. Like, you know, Ramon Ardid, who actually plays the boatman in this film, a very brief scene when Kali Hans is on the boat and they're going around. He's, he's on the boat in that scene. Yeah, he's like in this film and in a whole bunch of other films. Like oh, yeah, after this quite a bit, yeah. yeah like, like, well, not a whole bunch, but like eight other, seven or eight other films. Oh, yeah, like, that's and, quite a bit. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, he's like, you know, married to her until 2008, which is like, you know, or is it 2008? Is that right? No, uh, well, remote, you mean uh, Jess Franco. When did Jess and, and Lena get married? Well, okay, so uh, they, they Ramon, so, like, so like basically he, Ramon Ardid and, and Lena divorced, uh, like, after uh, the Dietrich, like, during the Dietrich films, like, during the Dietrich series, bar, uh, uh barbed wire dolls and all that, you know, from there to like slaves and right around that time frame is when her and him start breaking up. So if you look at his filmography, Lena disappears for like eight or 10 films and she comes back like one film and she's gone for four or five films. And that, that's when she was going through the divorce with uh, Ramon Ardid and Franco got a divorce from oh, his wife. Raymond Hardy. Say again? It says his name is Raymond Hardy, like on Letterboxd. No, well, like, it's... Uh, Ramon well, Ardid, A R D I D. That's his proper like, that's Spanish, his Spanish yeah. name or something. And, like and uh, yeah, so they divorced then, and Franco divorced his wife. And so the girl in the footage you watched that was talking to her, that's Franco's stepdaughter. What? Yeah, and she's in the past few films. She's in um, the movie. Uh, she's in the. Let's see what the last. That is so freaky. Heard. She's like naked and stuff, and her boobs are all out. And that's his stepdaughter. That's. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Yeah, because. She's also in um, Signs of the Tombs, 
and she's in um, uh, Sinner. I think she's one of the gals that's broken broken up in the drug party, and they check her eyes when she's standing in line. She's one of those gals. Oh my gosh! So yeah, so so she's in quite a few, and she does. Oh, and she's in gosh. the other side of the mirror, and she's in quite a few of the films. So anyway, yeah. So long story short, Frank broke up his wife, and then him and Lena got together, like you know, during eighty uh, eighty one or whatever, or got married around that time i guess and then they were married until he until he died you know wild yeah 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 no it, and it's so funny too because i mean she's like 20 years younger and he you know like she ended up dying in 2012 and then he died a year later yeah. and it's like you think that the older person's gonna die but you know fuck cancer and all that but it's it's interesting it makes you go uh you know all that what is it called the spring summer romance whatever the yeah. called the, spring winter spring august or whatever that, that. yeah yeah you know what uh, that romance you know it it, it all november seems- or whatever it's called so, yeah so but yeah so it, but it's but it's funny because like in this film like you see lena and like i was getting ready to talk about uh so franco's kind of like discovering her with, with his camera because she's like a new face and he has alice arno and these other gals he's working with and stuff so you see the scene with lena and alice arno and alice arno's coming on to her and she's kissing her and Lena's getting a little bit wild, and Alice is like a machine. If you watch her, she's just like counting as she kisses. I was like, watch her get close. She's just like one, two, three, four, one, two. I mean, she's like just like a machine, and she like calms Lena down, and then she goes down and she starts kissing on Lena's boobs and stuff. Then the next shot, you see Lena. She's fucking flapped around with her face at Alice's ass, and it's like a huge jump. It's like now fucking you know. And then Franco's like zooming in. I was like, okay, this is like a totally shot he'll use for the next 80 films you know just lena with her face in a woman's ass and he's gonna zoom in it's like you see that first like cool man it's like she's probably like well i really like how this looks and he's just kind of mm-hmm. getting that vibe and as he's filming and stuff and uh yeah i've just Lena does have such a cute nose though when it's like pointed up into the slope of the ass there is something quite poetic about that it's yeah just... no i know and it's just like I said, her <laughs> eyes she's just so eager to like just to you know do things it's so awesome you know yeah no one is more eager no one has no one has ever been or will ever be more eager than lena romay yeah i aspire to be as eager as her yeah that's that's that's, she's eager well it's funny too because in this one you see like it's her beginning like we're talking about she's easing into stuff like i was watching when she runs around and stuff she wears shoes outside and later on she wouldn't wear shoes you know and the rocks and stuff like okay and she takes off part way but it's like and she walks instead of runs. And so it's like, I was watching this going, okay, she's getting into it. It's like a few films from now, she'll be fucking jamming. But it's like, she's just like a, almost like a rookie. You see the rookie, you know, they're doing good, they're doing good. And then the next, next few films, they're like, wow, now they're a fucking superstar. You know, now she's hitting those fucking levels, you know. I love but, uh, it. Yeah. yeah Imagine like being like, yeah, that, I love that so much that she's just like about to become the you know, vixen that she, well, I mean, but, but even like her beginning steps, she's, her baby steps are like leaps and bounds compared to like every other woman on earth at that time. Yeah. Even though it was like, whatever the swinging sixties and seven there, you know, the, that love time, there was still most of, you know, most people were not that. Yeah. I mean, cause that was shot 72, 73, right. say <laughs> 73, you know, that's your, uh, year I was born. Same here. Year Glory I was born. My birth, as I like to call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, from what I've read around that time, I mean, that's you know, fucking porn was fucking hitting strong, and and it was it was a fucking popular deal, and you know, some are love had already come and gone, and and 
and it was a good dirty fucking fun few years there from 71 to about 79 well that is yeah exactly so yep. I have 79 78 maybe something like that yeah, the Halle Sion days of free love before God punished all of this yeah. <laughs> it's the COVID of the 80s no yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah but no it's it's just cool to watch that with before all that time and before all this shit happened so yeah yeah see howard vernon fucking eating raw meat on a fucking wooden fucking slab oh my god those giant hunks of meat those are huge i was like what that's not like that's like a giant beast cow thing how did they even get those cuts they were like three inches four inches thick beautiful marble cuts raw and if you look at lena's there's seasoned salt all over it it's all orange on her so it looks like it was cooked but it wasn't cooked you know and lena's so cute she like pretends like she's cutting it with her knife and and she never eats it but she's just like you know yeah being into it her is like it, you know being more natural you know lena's just kind of scared a little bit like i say she's just getting into it she doesn't know yet you know it looks so, like a scared rabbit with her little teeth out and everything doing that yeah yeah uh let's see okay so yeah we have the first nudity in this like the first like minute in uh yeah. on the beach with Kali hansa and uh, i have a note here nipple in bed sleeping yes yes, yes giant <laughs> nipples in bed sleeping. um uh let's see um yeah pretty much everything i've talked about the uh, teaching her the tongue the first tongue of, of miss lena romay and the belly chains that we saw in this it really takes me to notice because uh, i was just kind of taking the film in and, and watching it and uh figuring out how, how I wanted to talk about it and everything, but uh, what stood out and what I liked and didn't like and that, you know. The, the passing of the tongue scene actually was one of my favorite scenes for a different reason, though. <laughs> yeah, it's a, well, it cracked me up because, so it was like a very sensual kiss. Like she came out with a tongue to kiss her and like her and Lena were, they're about to go at it. Right. Um, and Lena's hair is directly oh, yeah. in front of the mouth. And they're like, you know that they're sensually kissing and just really, yeah. you know, Franco's just filming that going like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Like I, I'm getting the perfect energy and chemistry and the hair was directly in front of it. Yeah, Eric's like, move the hair, the yeah. hair's in the way. And then it turned into Lena's arm was in the way and another shot we're laughing because it's almost like, you know, but that's almost like a porno. Like if you, uh, I'm sure Mr. Eric here has watched I've seen pornography. A few. I've seen, seen a, few. a few today. So yeah, so you see, so you see that the girl will move the hair out of the way for the blowjob scene, or this or that, or whatever. So uh, so yeah, so it's I was thinking that same way. It's just like move the hair, move yeah. the hair, it's blocking the camera. Yeah, it didn't leave his arm like you said. It was like right above yeah, her nipple. Like yeah. when she was like totally kissing on her nipple, like her arm was directly in front. And of I remember it. later on when they do movies. Remember how Lena would kind of direct the girl's knees yeah. open toward the camera and stuff. Where before it's like by that time she learned. Oh, here the camera's here. Let's go ahead and block her this way instead of blocking it with my arm. Yeah. Let's tilt her this way and show her this and that. You know, so it's funny. You, yeah. You see her directing more as, as she goes along. <laughs> she learns f- from her mistakes on this. You know, because those could have been. I mean, well, they were beautiful scenes. But I, yeah. I, I was like, no, I want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's funny. Uh, but no, it's cool. Also, to uh, Alice Arno, I was just looking at a picture. She has like a really cool like a uh, hunter's necklace she wears at the end. It's almost like a like a devil's mask or like a um, native tribe mask or something. It's very very cool. Um, then she has that cool gold belt on and tons of rings. Um, Howard Vernon's cool. He wears this black suit in the whole thing. Some fucking badass glasses and stuff. 
uh, almost like a Dr. Orloff type character. Um, I do like that scene when he, he was putting the bodies inside the oven and then he had the fire in the foreground mm-hmm. and the bodies in the background. And the woman just lay there, but it was just a cool effect of the camera placement of the fire where everything was. And they were away from each other at a safe rate, but just how it looked. It looked like they were just burning. It just really yeah. cool. Very, really basic shot. Really, really nice. Um, scene of Howard Vernon outside with the mirror was cool. Like, you could see his intensity. He's like, you could tell he's like, had, had a certain rhythm or even if he didn't know how to do Morse code, you kind of believed what he was doing. You know, he seemed, oh, yeah. seemed believable and he had, he carried it through and he sold it like it was a real deal. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, oh yeah, he wanted, he needed something. He needed, yeah, he but needed just, it. it shows like how good of an actor he is to me. Just oh like, yeah. That seems to be, it wasn't laughable or hokey. Like, oh, you know, it's just like, okay. And you paid attention. You're trying to figure it out as you watched it. And, and, and he did it in a believable way. Oh yeah. There's that shot right there of, uh, her sitting on the mm-hmm. bed with the, that's a really great shot. Oh yeah. Too. Also the, uh, murderous passions by Mr. Stephen Thrower volume one. But, uh, yeah, there's, uh, Tons of good pictures from this film in that book, those I'm looking at now. And, of course, the iconic shot of Alice Arno with the bow and arrow uh, getting ready to slay Lena. Oh, it's cool, too. I noticed that. So you see Bob Woodward has, he has his own bow and arrow, and I was laughing. I was hilarious. Now let's see if you see the two in the same shot, because I'm sure with the budget they just had one bow and, and, uh, and our one set of arrows and uh, one quiver and, and everything with them. And sure enough, the... The same bow that they had was <laughs> was the same. It had the same uh, a blue handle, but he tried to hide it with his hand. But I could see it when he moved it up. So okay, it's the same same yeah. deal. So but that makes sense on a budget. You know, if it's that one shot, try to get away with just having one and try to double it and try to shoot it in the same shot with each other, and it definitely works. Um, but yeah, God, there's a lot of pictures in this. There's a uh, Collie Hansen nude against the glass. I don't know if that shot was actually in there, and then uh, yeah, quite a bit. So but yeah, no, I. I definitely like this. It's cool that they made this in five days. It's cool yeah. that it was very improv. Uh, it's cool that to show you as a filmmaker that, you know, you have your friends together, you got these cool locations, you're doing something else. This was shot basically like just right after, just at the same time type deal. Just something to do is, uh, hey, we're here. Let's use this time wisely if you're motivated and shit. You get another product out of it. I, I like those films like that and see, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I said, it's 70 something minutes. This is 69 minutes, but I think it's like 74 minutes in the version we have. Uh, through Monte Macabro, actually, um, 78 minutes, it says here. So, um, but, uh, yeah, and uh, this one's a good copy. It was put out in 2011. Hopefully they'll put this on Blu-ray real soon. Um, but that's the director's cut of that. So, like, you know, it shows that you can actually put out something decent. And there's, I mean, it's not his best film, but it's definitely not bad. I, I, yeah. I definitely liked it. It has it, it flowed really well. Um, scenes that were long, the traveling shots and stuff, had some things to look at, which is important. Showed some stuff, even a seagull flying away. Or, <laughs> but there's some cool things where he shot like a sunset and he just had the music made it look ominous. And it was just like just a couple of throwaway shots, but with the right mm-hmm. music and stuff, you can add to your flavor of the film. It's like putting another splash or something, not diluting it too much, but just putting a flick of something cool, just another little speck of paint or something in the further painting of it, you know. So there's a lot of nice little touches like that that I can see other people would have wasted or wouldn't have thought to use, but it made sense that he used it to kind of pad a little bit, but it still brought a cool style to it, you know? Yeah, no, it was and like that, that whole scene too. Also, I like the, um, the way he used the wide angle lens that you brought yeah. up, like, um, when he was filming inside the boat Yeah, yeah, yeah. with her, then he went to him, like, you know, controlling the boat or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was a really cool. And, uh, 
Oh, and also, it was kind of funny though, because like when the boat starts rocking, oh yeah, there's some funny shots. The, the camera just goes up and down, up and down. It really gave that. Yeah, like you no. were you got seasick. You got, you got yeah, seasick no, that, watching it. Yeah, no, I, I see both sides of that. Like, yeah, you make a scene because you're there and stuff. But other times, it's just like, my god, that's such a sloppy <laughs> shot. And he used it twice, and it's just you could have cut it in half, and just it's really just like wow. Because there's shots that I'll use that are shaky. I'm like, oh my god, it's too shaky. But I see stuff he does, and I'm just like, wow, how does he get away with that? Or using that, or deciding to use it, or who knows, you know, but, uh, also too, what I was going to bring up, I forgot about, um, of course she killed next season. One of my biggest favorite films of Franco. Of course I did lady Hyde, just based on that, but it's cool to watch that and know it forward and backwards and watching this because you see a lot of the same locations in that, the building, the Xanadu building and down below there's this cool, like uh, portal window place. And in this, you see a nice wide shot of the Xanadu castle above and then you see like different layers of like stories almost of the staircase where it goes down. There's like a level and it goes down another level and then you see the portal windows and then like some little shops or little buildings next to it or whatever. And it's cool too because in the film they make it look like those portal windows are up in the castle like it's one of the rooms. And then as she killed the Nexus, see they used it as the uh, beach cafe where she's chasing him along the beach, which would be about that level because they looks out onto the sea in that film. Uh, where he's inside and stuff, and, and they use it in that. So it, it was cool to see a lot of the locations that I recognized, a lot of the rooms in other films. Oh, this is in Erotic Rites of Dracula. Oh, yeah, this is in this as well, or this is in this film, or this is in Demons, or, or whatever. There's a lot of the overlapping locations of that. But, uh, yeah, very, very, very cool film. Um, I liked it. Uh flowed really well. Um, really good colors and stuff. Could have been cut down a little bit and stuff, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. It's a fun B-movie. You know, yeah. it's not nothing too deep or too heavy, but... Uh, it's a nice little exercise. Everybody looked like they were having a good time. Everybody was cool in it. Everybody gave it their all and all that stuff. So I like the way it ended too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I like the way it ended, like uh, Howard Vernon. Yeah, like, very ending like um, uh, Virgin Mom Living Dead, where which you had brought up, where he just kind of walks off into the sea, you know, or walks into the water, and he just walks the woman. And you know, he's uh, walking off to his death, obviously, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. You know, wearing those jeans and whatever. I'm sure he can't swim, holding Lena's dead body. You know. And how yeah. Vernon gets to have his most precious meal he's yeah, ever, best meal he's ever yeah, had. Best meal he's ever had. He gets to feast on her, which is cool because that's the whole Sedan thing where they were a couple and they always fucked everybody over. But they knew in the end one of them was going to fuck the other one over. Yeah. That's how it always ends. So, and then yeah. you know, she's the one that got it and he just feasted on her body literally. So, hey, what a piece of ass Lena must have been to make him fall in love so quickly. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, because the other guy was really beautiful as well. Yeah, you know? So, yeah. yeah. She's the one that was more experienced in taught Lena yeah. passing it. Well, let's see, the passing of the tongue, though. So she, she passed her power to Lena. So that's, that's why true. he had to have that's it. You know? Yeah, he was, Bob was very unhinged in this. He's like a really shitty dresser, had no patience. Yeah. Uh, that scene where he threw her to the bed, I don't know if like that was their like little play they do to fool Lena or if he really was like, God, uh, we bitch. Yeah, because he was just so impatient. Yeah, he wasn't the guitar player. No, no, he, he definitely <laughs> tried to ruin everything. Actually, yeah, he, I'd say he always tries to ruin everything because then later on he tries to ruin things. He's talking at the dinner and like fucking things. It's like, dude, you're going to ruin it, dude. Just like, that's yeah. the thing. He's a fucking spoiler. And the worst thing is spoiled meat. And yes. they like fresh meat. And spoiled <laughs> meat is bad. So he's the spoil. He is, he is the rot. He is the cancer of the meat. So they had to cut him out because he would ruin their meat. So. That's 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 his position in there, Bob. So Bob, you're a fucking piece of rotten meat. <laughs> not you, Bob. Not so. you, other Bob. <laughs> oh, I didn't say that. You're the one that applied that, Eric. I didn't say your last names. <laughs> but yeah, so so that's the role of Bob in this. So 
he's the cancer of of the meat. So, <laughs> and the great Count Zarkov must take out the meat, so or take out the cancer. So that's the lesson you learn while watching Count is Perverse. <laughs> <laughs> there was a moral. There was yeah, a story. There was a moral to the story, you know. <laughs> Inspect your meat and leave any fucking bad ingredients out. This yeah. will help you. Don't be a spoiler. And also for other recipes like that, you can get us at uh, Franco Observer at Yahoo.com. And uh, you can also get us at Facebook and Instagram, uh, Franco Observer Podcast. Uh, we'll have uh, recipes for uh, Count and Countess um, Filet Mignon. And it's funny, too, speaking of that, uh, uh, the meat, too, a lot of the meat they were serving was raw, I think. Yeah. Like the big steaks, oh, yeah. like big ribeyes, whatever. And they, they wouldn't serve them on a plate. They'd serve them on like, a, on like a wooden cooking board, I guess it is, or a chopping board. What are those called? Like a the with yeah, certain meat on chartreuse board? No, uh, like a, just a yeah wood board. Kind yeah, of board. just like a chopping uh, board or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, so it's funny they were eating and you seen some were physically eating it and they were always making the joke about the meat. Oh, it's a very different type of meat, and oh, it's like so obvious, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, first with Kali Hansa and then later with Lena. And it was funny with Lena's. It was like I don't know if they cooked it at all, but it looked like they got uh, seasoned salt because it was orange. I was looking at that. Her piece of meat had like. Orange stuff. Yeah, it over. was. It's like they took seasoned salt and they sprinkled on there, and she just like pretended to eat it. She was like cutting. I was watching her like, is she going to eat it or not? She was like talking, just cutting it a little bit and faking like she was going to eat it. It's like, come on, eat it, Lena. You know, <laughs> eat it, Lena. Eat it. Eat it. No, eat it, Lena. <laughs> See, that's the timid Lena. That's the, yeah, that's exactly. The new, on, new, yeah. new Lena. Lena would just put her face down, just oh, yeah, fucking yeah. tongue that. She started yeah. sucking the meat. Yeah, she would fucking. <laughs> She would lick every seasoning off every grain of salt. <laughs> From across the table. <laughs> yeah. Through a straw. <laughs> off a trailer hitch. Like an anteater. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. And actually, there was an anteater on this film where the guy lay down on the beach and they were like, hello, floppy. <laughs> so, but yeah, she's, uh, yeah, I mean, even this, you just, your eyes go to her and she definitely has that power and, and, uh, yeah, it's cool. Like you were saying, each role she steps up more and more and more, and then does the uh, Amazon films, and then does uh, Countess Perverse, and that's for where she, I think, you know, because because she's the lead in that, and that's where she takes over, and then you know, yeah, sort of it's wild her. that like I mean I can't imagine even though Jess you know had his own stuff going, I mean he had to have a mad crush on her, and it's like so wonderful that he just brought her husband in to work on all the stuff as well it's just like you know okay we're just gonna do this as a team and it was all gonna be just you know yeah i mean because you know because in the end i mean your film is the most important thing and it's like and that situation was already established you know it's like because ramon ardid was first a photographer i believe on a franco film and lena was with him and franco saw lena and it's like oh who's you know who's this and then he introduced her and this and that stuff and then brought her in said oh you should act in my films and she went to the same acting college or school that uh Montserrat Prowse did and wait what Lena went to acting school yeah she went to like a like an acting college or like an acting school over there like a not a Juilliard but like a type of a girls acting school or like a plays and shit you know I don't know how long but yeah yeah she had some she had some formal background you know that's amazing. I had no idea about that. I thought she was just like a sweet little like child thing that just picked up off the street and created. No, because she cause she had done that like in a school and stuff, and he had done photography and they had met and stuff, and they were like a couple. And then he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna work on this film and stuff," and brought her in, and oh, you know who you know who she and stuff, and then brought her in, and oh yeah, because you see, 
uses her in the background at first and doesn't really give her a lot of lines and then gives her a little more and then has her play like she's mentally handicapped and stuff in that yeah. last film. And then this, she talks now and has a little more. So he's just, you know, giving her a little more, giving her a little more, just seeing how she does and stuff. But you can see that he sees something in her and wants to keep using that and stuff. And then sure enough, he, he must've had in the back of his head that that was going to be his gal, you know? Wow. That is true romance. I love it. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Another love cool it. reason why I like Jess and Lena and the whole, franco universe you know so yeah yeah it's i don't know um i know that some people get frustrated that there isn't uh, more um of the hunt in this movie um but i don't mind it i mean i thought it was kind of cool that it kind of all led up to this like big you know the i mean the 20 minute climax of, of the the hunt is pretty yeah know. no i think it's it's fine for what it is i mean alice arno just looks so like i was told like eric to me alice arno is like a tank with a painting in front of it. To me, that's what she is. Cause she's like strong, like a fucking tank. She's indestructible, but she's like a painting. She's just so beautiful and silk and her body and no, you know, I mean, she has this scarring in front, but she's just unblemished and so just porcelain. I mean, she's so beautiful, but she's such a fucking positive, destructive force. If that makes sense. Like she doesn't show weakness. She doesn't, I mean, she's always just, you know, yeah. fucking, pretty fucking badass you know yeah, she's a goddess she's yeah goddess. yeah and she's really underrated i think as a lot of people don't really talk about alice arno a lot they talk about the other this and that and stuff but yeah she's definitely really fucking i'm starting to be a big alice arno fan so <laughs> yeah no i mean other well, should aspire to be as well so yeah, Gene but, Holland, yeah. Her. <laughs> yeah. um any final thoughts on countess perverse or any uh things that stood out to you that we haven't discussed already um no i'm good i honestly like everything that i was thinking about saying about it was said it's a pretty simple cut and dry you know yeah kind of most dangerous game script but yeah i i mean i'm so glad that lena was the prey i feel like she's just the perfect prey yeah and, yeah, she and is. alice is the perfect predator but like that's a really well paired team love it but um yeah i would recommend watching the shorter cut you know not like right now or nothing but yeah Check it out. I think you might like it. It's to me, it's a little leaner and stuff, and especially now that you know some of the extra stuff and kind of get it, you know, and stuff. And uh, there's a few le- loose ends, but you know, it takes away a lot of the softcore stuff from what I've read. You know, a lot of that just. Yeah, I, I like the softcore stuff, though. I hear you. I hear you. To me, that's the that's the best. <laughs> the padding, but like yeah. I like that stuff. <laughs> well, with the version I saw, it's you still see quite a bit of shit. I mean, you know. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, it's. You still see, it's- you still see Howard Vernon's ass. You still see all that. Well, I do want to watch both versions for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's cool and, and it's really inspirational to show you that what you could do with like a bunch of cool friends and some really amazing locations in like five days. Like that's sure. it's five fucking days. That's that just blows my mind. You know, not counting the extra added stuff they did later, but the actual core film just five fucking days and you know yeah from august uh 30th to september 3rd we're going out to santa rosa island out in the catalinas and we're going to film for the film that i'm i'm starring in and we're going to do the big finale so we'll see what we can do in five days on an island <laughs> nice nice and then that's gonna be and then, and then after that are you guys gonna wrap or you still got more stuff i'm not sure but i'll see i guess it all depends on where we're going right now yeah, artistic vision is. Yeah. Won't be done, but that, i think that's supposed to be the bad the big finale stuff so we're gonna nice. pull it out there it'll be exciting yeah very, might be a little cannibalism cool. of our own actually yeah yeah 
Very cool. So yeah, so that was our, uh, I guess, wrap up of Countess Perverse. So uh, yeah, so this is fun. It's episode fifty. Um, doing um, on this would be myself and Eric Wickwell and uh, Colleen Sini from uh, Los Angeles, and uh, doing a second review with her, and going to edit all this together. So you'll be hearing all this flow today. So. All right. Well, uh, any final words on episode fifty? No. Can, happy fiftieth. Happy fiftieth. This is amazing, amazing. Thank you all for listening. Like, so appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, download, subscribe. Like, amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you all for listening for these first fifty. Uh, I'm gonna give you fifty more, and then we'll see how we are from there. Uh, I want to try to do the whole thing, so we'll see. But yeah, without support, uh, we. Well, I well, I will still go on without support. I always do, but uh, yeah. All, all your support always helps. So more support you give, uh, more episodes we put out. So keep supporting us, and we'll keep putting out. Just like Lena. Keep supporting us. <laughs> we put out. If, if, if you stop putting out, then you know, you got to figure out what you bring to the table. So yeah. if you don't put out, then what do you bring to the table? You know, If you don't bring your putting out, then you're meat. And with this film, it shows if you're not putting out, then you're meat on the table. So with those words, buenas noches. Put off nights. Alrighty, well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this portion uh, of episode big number 50, which I actually didn't really mention on this end of it. But yeah, so ah, 50, 50, 50, zero down, 50 more to go, and another 50 more to go. So, yeah. 50. Big 50. So, yeah. So, yeah. 50, 50 fucking episodes. Yeah. So, Great. awesome. Congrats. All right. Well, on that, I will say, boy, there's no chase. <laughs> boy, there's no chase.